Book Two, Chapter Six, Part Four of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Take your places between Mr. Osterman and Mr. Broderson, said Magnus as the three men rode up. Presley, he added, I forbid you to take any part in this affair. Yes, keep him out of it, cried Annixter from his position at the extreme end of the line. Go back to Hooven's house, Press, and look after the horses, he added. This is no business of yours. And keep the road behind us clear. Don't let anyone come near, not anyone, you understand? Presley withdrew, leading the buckskin and the horses that Gethings and Cutter had ridden. He fastened them under the great live oak, and then came out and stood in the road in front of the house to watch what was going on. In the ditch, shoulder-deep, the leaguers, ready, watchful, waited in silence, their eyes fixed on the white shimmer of the road leading to Guadalajara. "'Where's Hooven?' inquired Cutter. "'I don't know,' Osterman replied. "'He was out watching the lower road with Harron Derrick. "'Oh, Harron!' he called. "'Isn't Hooven coming in?' "'I don't know what he's waiting for,' answered Harron. He was to have come in just after me. He thought maybe the marshal's party might make a feint in this direction, then go around by the upper road after all. He wanted to watch them a little longer, but he ought to be here by now. Think he'll take a shot at them on his own account? Oh, no, he wouldn't do that. Maybe they took him prisoner. Well, uh, that's to be thought of, too. Suddenly there was a cry. Around the bend of the road in front of them came a cloud of dust. From it emerged a horse's head. Hello, hello, here's something. Remember, we are not to fire first. Perhaps it's Hooven. I, I can't see, is it? There, there only seems to be one horse. Oh, too much dust for one horse. Annixter, who had taken his field glasses from Harron, adjusted them to his eyes. That's not them, he announced presently. Nor Hooven either. That's a cart. Then after another moment he added, The butcher's cart from Guadalajara. The tension was relaxed. The men drew long breaths, settling back in their places. Do we let him go on, Governor? The bridge is down. He can't go by, and we must not let him go back. We shall have to detain him and question him. I wonder the marshal let him pass. The cart approached at a lively trot. Anybody else in the cart, Mr. Annixter? asked Magnus. Look carefully. It may be a ruse. It is strange the marshal should have let him pass. The leaguers roused themselves again. Osterman laid his hand on his revolver. No, called Annixter in another instant. No, there's only one man in it. The cart came up, and Cutter and Phelps, clambering from the ditch, stopped it as it arrived in front of the party. Hey, what, what? exclaimed the young butcher, pulling up. Is that bridge broke? But at the idea of being held, the boy protested at top voice, badly frightened, bewildered, and not knowing what was to happen next. No, no, I got my meat to deliver. Say, you let me go. Say, I, I ain't got nothing to do with you. He tugged at the reins, trying to turn the cart about. Cutter, with his jackknife, parted the reins just back of the bit. You'll stay where you are, my son, for a while. We're not going to hurt you, but you are not going back to town till we say so. Did you pass anybody on the road out of town? In reply to the leaguer's questions, the young butcher at last told them he had passed a two-horse buggy and a lot of men on horseback just beyond the railroad tracks. They were headed for Los Muertos. Well, that's them, all right, muttered Annixter. They're coming by this road, sure. 
The butcher's horse and cart were led to one side of the road, and the horse tied to the fence with one of the severed lines. The butcher himself was passed over to Presley, who locked him in Hooven's barn. "'Well, what, what the devil,' demanded Osterman, "'has become of Bismarck?' In fact, the butcher had seen nothing of Hooven. The minutes were passing, and still he failed to appear. "'What's he up to, anyways?' "'Bet you what you like, they caught him. "'That's just like that crazy Dutchman to get excited and go too near. "'You can always depend on Hooven to lose his head.' Five minutes passed, then ten. The road toward Guadalajara lay empty, baking and white under the sun. "'Well, the marshal and this Behrman don't seem to be in any hurry, either.' "'Shall I go forward and reconnoiter, Governor?' asked Harran. But Dabney, who stood next to Annixter, touched him on the shoulder and, without speaking, pointed down the road. Annixter looked, then suddenly cried out, "'Here comes Hooven!' The German galloped into sight around the turn of the road, his rifle laid across his saddle. He came on rapidly, pulled up, and dismounted at the ditch. "'They're coming!' he cried, trembling with excitement. "'I watch a long time by the side of the road into bushes. Uh, they stopped by the gate on the side the railroad tracks.' and talk long time with one another. They've gone on. They've gone through to the monkey doodle business. Me, I see Grinch and put the, the cartridges in his gun. I think they're going to come my place first. They, they're going to, to try to put me off. They take my home. Pike cut. All right, all right. Get down in here and keep quiet, Hooven. Don't fire unless... Here they are. A half-dozen voices uttered the cry at once. There could be no mistake this time. A buggy drawn by two horses came into view around the curve of the road. Three riders accompanied it, and behind these, seen at intervals in a cloud of dust, were two, three, five, six others. This, then, was S. Behrman with the United States Marshal and his posse. The event that had been so long in preparation, the event which it had been said would never come to pass, the last trial of strength, the last fight between the trust and the people, the direct, brutal grapple of armed men, the law defied, the government ignored. Behold, here it was, close at hand. Osterman cocked his revolver, and in the profound silence that had fallen upon the scene the click was plainly audible from end to end of the line. "'Remember our agreement, gentlemen,' cried Magnus in a warning voice. "'Mr. Osterman, I must ask you to let down the hammer or your weapon.' No one answered. In absolute quiet, standing motionless in their places, the leaguers watched the approach of the marshal. Five minutes passed. The riders came on steadily. They drew nearer. The grind of the buggy wheels in the grit and dust of the road and the prolonged clatter of the horse's feet began to make itself heard. The leaguers could distinguish the faces of their enemies. In the buggy were S. Behrman and Cyrus Ruggles, the latter driving, a tall man in a frock coat and slouch hat, the marshal, beyond question, rode at the left of the buggy, Delaney carrying a Winchester at the right, Christian, the real estate broker, S. Behrman's cousin, also with a rifle, could be made out just behind the marshal. Back of these, riding well up, was a group of horsemen, indistinguishable in the dust raised by the buggy's wheels. Steadily, the distance between the leaguers and the posse diminished. "'Don't let them get too close, Governor,' whispered Harran. 
When S. Behrman's buggy was about one hundred yards distant from the irrigating ditch, Magnus sprang out upon the road, leaving his revolvers behind him. He beckoned Garnett and Gethings to follow, and the three ranchers, who, with the exception of Broderson, were the oldest men present, advanced without arms to meet the marshal. Magnus cried aloud, "'Halt where you are!' From their places in the ditch, Annixter, Osterman, Dabney, Harron, Hooven, Broderson, Cutter, and Phelps, their hands laid upon their revolvers, watched silently, alert, keen, ready for anything. At the governor's words, they saw Ruggles pull sharply on the reins. The buggy came to a standstill, the riders doing likewise. Magnus approached the marshal, still followed by Garnett and Gethings, and began to speak. His voice was audible to the men in the ditch, but his words could not be made out. They heard the marshal reply quietly enough, and the two men shook hands. Delaney came around from the side of the buggy, his horse standing before the team across the road. He leaned from the saddle, listening to what was being said, but made no remark. From time to time, S. Behrman and Ruggles, from their seats in the buggy, interposed a sentence or two into the conversation. But at first, so far as the leaguers could discern, neither Magnus nor the marshal paid them any attention. They saw, however, that the latter repeatedly shook his head, and once they heard him exclaim in a loud voice, "'I only know my duty, Mr. Derrick.' Then Gethings turned about, and seeing Delaney close at hand, addressed an unheard remark to him. The cowpuncher replied curtly, and the words seemed to anger Gethings. He made a gesture, pointing back to the ditch, showing the entrenched leaguers to the posse. Delaney appeared to communicate the news that the leaguers were on hand, and prepared to resist to the other members of the party. They all looked toward the ditch, and plainly saw the ranchers there, standing to their arms. But, meanwhile, Ruggles had addressed himself more directly to Magnus, and between the two an angry discussion was going forward. Once even Harron heard his father exclaim, "'That statement is a lie, and no one knows it better than yourself.' "'Here,' growled Annixter to Dabney, who stood next to him in the ditch, "'those fellows are getting too close. Look at them edging up. Don't Magnus see that?' The other members of the marshal's force had come forward from their places behind the buggy and were spread out across the road. Some of them were gathered about Magnus, Garnett, and Gethings, and some were talking together, looking and pointing toward the ditch. Whether acting upon signal or not, the leaguers in the ditch could not tell, but it was certain that one or two of the posse had moved considerably forward. Besides this, Delaney had now placed his horse between Magnus and the ditch, and two others riding up from the rear had followed his example. The posse surrounded the three ranchers, and by now everybody was talking at once. "'Look here,' Harron called to Alingster. "'This won't do. I don't like the looks of this thing. They all seem to be edging up, and before we know it they may take the governor and the other men prisoners.' "'They ought to come back,' declared Annixter. "'Somebody ought to tell them that those fellows are creeping up.' By now the angry argument between the governor and Ruggles had become more heated than ever. Their voices were raised. Now and then they made furious gestures. "'They ought to come back,' cried Osterman. "'We couldn't shoot now if anything should happen for fear of hitting them.' "'Well, it, it sounds as though something were going to happen pretty soon.' They could hear Gethings and Delaney wrangling furiously. Another deputy joined in. "'I'm going to call the governor back.' 
exclaimed Annixter, suddenly clambering out of the ditch. No, no, cried Osterman. Keep in the ditch. They can't drive us out if we keep here. Hooven and Harran, who had instinctively followed Annixter, hesitated at Osterman's words, and the three halted irresolutely on the road before the ditch, their weapons in their hands. Governor, shouted Harran, come on back. You can't do anything. Still the wrangle continued, and one of the deputies, advancing a little from out of the group, cried out, Keep back there, you! Keep back! Go to hell, will you? shouted Harran on the instant. You're on my land! Oh, come back here, Harran, called Osterman. That ain't gonna do any good. Uh, listen, suddenly exclaimed Harran. The governor is calling us. Come on, I'm going. Osterman got out of the ditch and came forward, catching Harran by the arm and pulling him back. He didn't call you. Don't get excited. You'll ruin everything. Get back into that ditch again. But Cutter, Phelps, and the old man Dabney, misunderstanding what was happening and seeing Osterman leave the ditch, had followed his example. All the leaguers were now out of the ditch and a little way down the road. Hooven, Osterman, Annixter, and Harran in front, Dabney, Phelps, and Cutter coming up from behind. "'Keep back, you!' cried the deputy again. In the group around S. Behrman's buggy, Gethings and Delaney were yet quarreling, and the angry debate between Magnus, Garnett, and the marshal still continued. Till this moment, the real estate broker, Christian, had taken no part in the argument, but had kept himself in the rear of the buggy. Now, however, he pushed forward. There was but little room for him to pass, and as he rode by the buggy his horse scraped its flank against the hub of the wheel. The animal recoiled sharply, and, striking against Garnett, threw him to the ground. Delaney's horse stood between the buggy and the leaguers gathered on the road in front of the ditch. The incident, indistinctly seen by them, was misinterpreted. Garnett had not yet risen, when Hooven raised a great shout. Hoch de Kaiser! Hoch de Vaterland! With the words he dropped to one knee, and sighting his rifle carefully, fired into the group of men around the buggy. Instantly the revolvers and rifles seemed to go off of themselves. Both sides, deputies and leaguers, opened fire simultaneously. At first it was nothing but a confused roar of explosions. Then the roar lapsed into an irregular quick succession of reports, shot leaping after shot. Then a moment's silence, and last of all, regular as clock ticks, three shots at exact intervals. Then stillness. Delaney, shot through the stomach, slid down from his horse, and on his hands and knees crawled from the road into the standing wheat. Christian fell backward from the saddle toward the buggy, and hung suspended in that position his head and shoulders on the wheel, one stiff leg still across his saddle. Hooven, in attempting to rise from his kneeling position, received a rifle ball squarely in the throat, and rolled forward upon his face. Old Broderson, crying out, Oh, they've shot me, boys, staggered sideways, his head bent, his hands rigid at his sides, and fell into the ditch. Osterman, blood running from his mouth and nose, turned about and walked back. Presley helped him across the irrigating ditch, and Osterman laid himself down, his head on his folded arms. Harron Derrick dropped where he stood, turning over on his face, and lay motionless, groaning terribly, a pool of blood forming under his stomach. The old man, Dabney, silent as ever, received his death speechless. He fell to his knees, 
He got up again, fell once more, and died without a word. Annixter, instantly killed, fell his length to the ground and lay without movement, just as he had fallen, one arm across his face. End of Book Two, Chapter Six